Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. I just tend to be a little on the intense side. Obviously, we're dealing with conquest, taking the promised land. There's a lot of battles to fight, eh, a lot of darkness to overcome, a lot of sin to be discovered and dealt with. It's, uh, so today is another one of these, you, th- you just got to throw it down. I mean, you take it, what's in the Word and you say, okay, Lord, uh, what are you saying to me today? Because, you know, the Word is timeless, and because it's timeless, it's always timely. Amen? It's eternal. It lives. It, it's active. It's fresh wherever we're at. And so today, um, uh, the title of this fearless series is The Agony of Defeat. And uh, last week we covered, if you missed it, you can go back and listen online. There's Palmer's site, you can listen to the podcast there. But um, these battles tie together. There's characters that you can compare to one another that's pretty important. But uh, last week we talked about Joshua and they took their first steps of faith into the uh, Jordan River, and God was securing their stance for tomorrow and giving them a sure path to walk on. As long as they were obedient to what the Lord said and the commands he gave and the instructions that he gave, if they followed those, then they were going to have a sure victory. And so they attacked Jericho, and yes, they defeated this stronghold. It was a key stronghold to take the land from the east and the west, north, south. It was a pretty major city that they had to conquer. And um, so... It, they did, and they, and they were greatly successful. And why were they successful? Is because God did it. God pulled the walls down. He gave Joshua specific instructions, and they followed them. And because of that, they had a great victory. And in the midst of this story, though, we discovered Rahab, who was a harlot, who was surrounded in darkness, who was one who was sitting in darkness in a very dark, demon-infested culture, the Canaanites, that were sacrificing their babies on the altar. And, and uh, they were just, just wicked to the core. And uh, yet there's this woman sitting in darkness who saw a great light and chose that day to uh, give her allegiance to the God of Israel and turn her life over with a major act of repentance, helping the spies escape and all that. And you know the story unfolds that because of what she did today, her tomorrow was secured. She marched into tomorrow, her and her family and all who are under her roof, and she was secured. She was saved. She was spared. Not only that, she was placed in the lineage of Jesus Christ, which is a powerful testimony and story in itself. But if, you, if you, you're going to see another character that we'll present today, that you compare this other character, Achan, to Rahab, who was sitting in darkness and saw a great light. Achan was a man who was sitting in the light. And he was under godly leadership. And he had his tomorrow secured if he stayed in that place. Yet even in the midst of one sitting in the light, he chose darkness. He stiffened his neck and in defiance did what he knew was wrong and hung on to it to the bitter end, and therefore his future was cut off. It was not spared, and he didn't step into his tomorrow, but it ended abruptly. The sad ending to the story, but there's so much that we can glean through this journey as they approach Ai and what you and I can learn from it. Because at this point, Joshua is flush with victory. And his frame is spreading. Uh, frame, fame is spreading. 
and uh, except for one little critical detail, and nobody knows about this detail, and it's exposed in the first part of the chapter 7. Joshua doesn't know, Israel doesn't know, but you and I get to take a peek at what's going on behind the scenes as the story unfolds. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Wow, what a disaster. Because someone committed a great trespass, it says. The consequence, three men are slain. Three soldiers cut down, and there was a major defeat. Why was this so devastating to Israel? It was devastating not only because three men lost their life, but because now the Canaanites, this, this wicked culture who once said that our courage has drained from our veins, we, have, we are shaking before Israel who has come to conquer us, they admitted that. Now would they stand and say, ah, there's a chink in your armor. Israel is not undefeated. Israel can be defeated. There is something that is, they are not indestructible. And would they at that point gain a sense of newfound courage to stand against Israel? This was extremely dangerous. This was a fearful moment in the history of Israel. So here they are. They took Jericho before this. And they were clearly instructed to destroy everything except for the articles of gold and silver and uh, bronze and iron. Those were to be put into the treasury of Israel. Every other living thing was to be destroyed. Yet someone defied the orders and took for themselves some articles and items. And it was a sad ending because at the end of the story, it's not, it doesn't go well for that family or that individual. It's tragic. But it does convey some really incredible, important truth about God, about mankind, about judgment, about secret sin, and the cost of all that. They're, they were already actually defeated before they even approached AI because of what happened prior. They've already sown their defeat. This hidden sin just waits for its prime moment to bring its final blow to the one hiding it. That's how the devil works. He'll hide something until he can bring the maximum damage. Boy, we've seen this. We've seen it on the headlines with ministers who've had affairs or embezzled funds or whatever. And it goes on and on and on, you find out, for sometimes years until finally it's exposed because the devil can bring his maximum 
harm to those that are being influenced by that individual and even the public. And you see this even with corporations when executives, you know, they're finally caught by manipulating stocks throughout the years. Something has gone on behind scenes or affairs or whatever. And finally it's brought out into the open because the devil lays the hammer down for the maximum exposure and impact on those that they influence or the public that can be influenced. And it's so sad. Yet they were already defeated years ago. But the enemy waits for that moment when the most damage can be done. But I want to remind you of something. Today, you and I, we stand before the throne of grace. We have Jesus Christ on our side. And he calls us to himself because he wants everybody here to have a happy ending. He wants everybody to hear that, know that if you walk in him, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, there is great grace and open doors for us to walk into our tomorrow. And it doesn't have to be cut off in any way, shape, or form. But today, if we're honest with Jesus and we live before him as he's called us to and follow his way and his word, there's great hope for all. Because this story, though, that we're looking at today is really about today and what you do today to secure your tomorrow. That's what it's about. Israel needed to do the right thing today so that they could move into their tomorrow. Just as Rahab at one point did the right thing today, which caused her to move into her tomorrow and secured her tomorrow. Yet Achan refused to do the right thing today and his tomorrow was cut off. The book was closed. The chapter was ended. You know, this phrase in chapter 6 that we've read through in the Hebrew, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it says that God addressed, when he addressed the city of Jericho, he said, actually used one word, it's a cherem, it's C-H-E-R-E-M. It means devoted to destruction, accursed, to be exterminated, doomed. And that's what God told Joshua that when they took Jericho, it was to be entirely devoted to destruction. Chapter 6, verse 18, Joshua instructs his soldiers to keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, he says, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Ai means trouble, where they were headed. <laughs> well, what was to be taken was to be devoted to the Lord. But he was saying, if you take it for yourselves, it'll become accursed. What belongs in God's hands, when it's there, actually, is, is a blessing when he deals it from his hands on his terms. It's so important that we understand this. Because when, we take, when man takes something on his terms and it's kept and it's uh, manipulated uh, by his own hand, it, it becomes a curse. It, it becomes under the control of man. This right here... Uh, this is not what the message is about today, but you have to, you have to ponder this for a moment. Uh, why, when it comes to even our own finances and giving and tithes and offerings, we bring the first fruits to the Lord. And what we're saying is this divine principle that we're seeing here is, Lord, by giving you the first fruits, the 10%, uh, New Testament goes beyond that. Uh, Lord, I give it into your hands, and therefore, because of that, I'm proclaiming that it really belongs to you, and I'm a steward over it. And because of that, I've acknowledged that there's going to be great blessing, great increase, great release, and great future for my tomorrow. Yet, if I refuse to do that and hold it for myself and grip it under my own control and keep it, all of it, and 
uh, what I'm saying is, this is mine, God, then something happens. We live under this curse, in a sense, and as it says in Malachi, the, the devourer takes over, and we are diminished, and we are taken advantage of, and corrosion sets in. So important that we understand that, the principles behind that. Well, they did just that. They uh, devoted the city uh, to the Lord. Um, they destroyed with the sword every living thing. And yet, someone takes one of the, some of the things for themselves. And the chapter ends with Joshua pronouncing actually a curse. On, on, this is amazing. He announces a curse over anyone or who undertakes rebuilding Jericho. He says the first son will die when they lay its foundations, and the youngest child will die when, it, when they hang its gates. So what's up with this curse, this cursed city? What is with that? Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Well, let's just explain this just for a moment. If you back up about 400 years before Joshua, uh, God told Abraham, he said, your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. And, and that's where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, and that's Egypt. And then, uh, through the fourth generation, they'll return here. Then he says this, he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, 400 years before Joshua, Canaan was already a wicked, dark place. It was full of darkness. They were already sacrificing their babies. They were serving demon gods. It was a dark, dark, wicked place. But yet God says, he says, but the iniquity isn't quite full yet. In other words, you know, I'm going to give it time in hopes that maybe some would repent. There's still time. It's amazing how God will wait from generation to generation and give so much time in his kindness because he's not willing that any would perish, hoping that some would turn, one would turn, and sure enough, when Jericho is taken, one does turn. Rahab the harlot looks to the light, gives her allegiance to the God of Israel, surrenders her heart, and something powerful happens to her and her family and those under her roof. But there does come a point when when darkness has so covered a people and they've become so rotten, that uh, so wicked, that there's no light anywhere to grab onto, then we see that sin even has its own sense of judgment and weight and crushing over a generation and over a people. And so that's what basically happens here. It's become that place, the whole Canaan area. And God says there was really nothing left to redeem. And they were destroyed. They were set on evil. There was no good in them. Except for Rahab. And that God never will exclude anybody who turns their heart to Jesus. Now, Israel did completely destroy Jericho. We know that. We talked about that last week. Except, again, in the first part of chapter 7, something is revealed that we've read that nobody knows yet. Joshua doesn't know. The Jews don't know. Nobody knows about this secret, but this guy named Achan, who took some items, uh, God told the Jews to, dis to actually put in their treasury of Israel. He took them for themselves, and no one knows. And as a result of that, this great defeat happens at Ai. 36 men are killed. And then you see the result of that afterwards in Joshua 7, verse 6. We begin there. It says, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put their dust, they put dust on their heads. 
And so the Lord said to Joshua, get up! Pretty intense. Why do you lie thus there on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed thing among you. Wow. Pretty severe. It says that the people of Ai, now I want you to get to this picture here of what's happening. This is really interesting. The people of Ai, uh, Ai means ruin. So the people of Ai, the ruin, chased down Israel, killed 36 men, and they chased them all the way down to Shebarim, which actually is a place where rocks are broken up to build things. It's a quarry, and it means broken up. So what you have here is you have Ai meaning ruin. So what you have here is you have uh, Israel is now under a curse, and they are chased by ruin all the way down to a place where they are broken up. It's quite a picture, isn't it? And there where they're broken up is where you find Joshua on his face, broken before God. Dust on his head, undone. It's interesting that oftentimes before God has our attention, we're at that place of brokenness. Ever been there? You're just broken up. And God says, get up. You've come to that place. And that's what the Lord says to Joshua. Get up! Israel has sinned. Now, Joshua had this godly pattern of seeking God before he engaged in battle. That was a great habit. Uh, he did this before he took Jericho, and he was given specific instructions, and he followed them to the T, and man, it was glorious. After taking uh, Jericho, Joshua, this great general, and he's in charge of 600,000-man army, and he's a brilliant general, and he moves towards Ai, and Ai is a relatively small city, yet instead of seeking God, what does he do? Like he normally does, he doesn't seek God. Instead, he defers to a couple of his soldiers, a couple of his officers, actually, and sends those two down to spy out Ai. So they come back, and they advise Joshua, not God. They advise him on how many men they should take to attack Ai. And, uh, of course, as a result of that, they suffer this massive defeat. They just had a massive victory with Jericho, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they were a little overconfident. I mean, this is just a small city. It's AI, right? We got this. This is nothing compared to what just happened back there. We got this. You know what it says in Galatians 3.3? It says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, when you walked with God, when you listened to the Holy Spirit, when you pressed in, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you now resorted back to your own ways and your own flesh and your own ideas and your own thoughts and your own cleverness? What began with great success in seeking God, now we're trusting in our own cleverness and our own ability. Uh, the, the decision to attack AI was based on what they saw and what they knew and what they trusted in their own understanding. Yet Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Well, they had a little breakdown there, a misstep. 
and they chose to do something apart from God in a sense, and it was a great cost. Because if Joshua would have entreated, if we would have come to God and said, okay, Lord, here's the next setting, and God would have stopped him and said, there's some unfinished business that we need to deal with here. Yet he missed it. I think about how many times we've made critical decisions in our own life based on what we see and what we know and what feels good. And it just didn't turn out like we thought because it kind of left God out of the whole decision-making process. It's easy to go there, isn't it? You just, we can just rush forward. You know, another thing uh, the spies told Joshua, and this I don't want to miss. I'm going to pull a few things out in our journey here. He says, do not let all the people, they, the spies told Joshua, don't let all the people go up, but only send two or 3,000 men. Let them go up and attack Ai. And uh, really what they said there, they said, don't they, they said, don't weary the people. In other words, if you break it down, he's saying, don't require them to exert themselves. And why is this so alarming? Is because there are people today that have not advanced in their life in Christ because they refuse to exert themselves. They refuse to uh, press in into God and maybe in worship or, or really press in further in their relationship and in, in their journey with Jesus. And because they aren't exerting themselves, they're just kind of relaxed and they, they aren't getting the, the breakthrough and the victories that God really has for them and is in store for them for their tomorrow. I would say to you, my friends, keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. Keep chasing after God because there's so much more that he has for us in the days ahead. Well, God said there was a problem. There was, the, the problem was sin. And Joshua's wailing before God and God says, get up! There's a time to pray and there's a time for action. There's a time where you can pray that there's a time to repent, to repent, change what you're doing. There, there, there's sin in the camp, and you got to face it, he says. You ever been in those seasons where you feel like you're facing one defeat after another, and it's been discouraging, and, and uh, sometimes we got to stop and say, have I been totally brutally honest with myself? Have I dealt with what I've maybe been denying or ignoring? Now, I know that's not always the case, but more often than not, there are times when we're, not, when we're just not really willing to face the real issues that's wrecking havoc in our life, and it's time to take action. Uh, uh, there's a, maybe it's a habit that's becoming more than it should be, and maybe it's in a, you're in a relationship and things are happening that you know shouldn't be and you haven't dealt with it, or you can even have a family member living under your own roof that's uh, making decisions, and their decisions have become your problems as well, and it's wrecking havoc in your home, and you know the Lord is saying it's time to stand up and take a stand and stop it. And those are tough calls, but there are seasons in our life where we have to move through those. Well, the Lord instructs Joshua, and uh, <clears throat> this is the hard part. He's, he's telling Joshua, I'm going to reveal to you the individual who, made, who perpetrated this crime. He's brought destruction on Israel, trouble. He says, I'm going to have you cast lots. And as you cast lots, I will begin with the tribe and we'll work down to the clan, the family, and the household, and all the way to the individual. Boy, if you can imagine Achan at this point, because they cast the first lot and the tribe of Judah is exposed and 
And it's, of course, everything's related to Achan. And, of course, he's standing there and his eyes are darting everywhere. And there's sweat starting to bead down his forehead. And, and he's getting flushed and he's getting a little nervous and starting to squirm a little bit. Yet he holds out and he doesn't do anything. And they keep casting lots down to finally the family. It's Achan's family. And why didn't Achan just say, all right, that's enough. Stop this. I did it. It's me. I took the accursed things. Why why didn't he just do that? But he didn't. He didn't throw himself at the mercy of God. He just kept, kept letting it go. Casting of lots until finally Achan is pointed out. It's such a sobering moment. Maybe it was done that way for the purpose of giving Achan time to repent and to step forward. Maybe that was the grace of God making his appeal, but he wouldn't do it. He just stood there in a stubborn pride and resisted. Well, he's identified, and I, I want you to see how Joshua responds, because Joshua, a, a, a man of God, fearless, courageous, a general, yet a father who loves his people. And you see the love come through. You see the compassion in his own heart. In chapter 7, verse 19, he says, Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it from me. You see this, this appeal from a father. And Joshua, again, means Jesus, Savior, and I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where you felt Jesus approach you and he said, my son, my daughter, just be honest. I'm here to help you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to, to, I'm here to pour my love on you, but you, you must come and be honest and, and deal with the issues. And so Joshua 7, verse 20, 21, says, Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord, against God of Israel, and this is what I have done. What I saw among the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, weighing 50 shekels. Boy, he took a lot. He says, I coveted them and I took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar from the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, they, they saw the fruit. It, it looked good. It was tasty. And they considered it and they coveted it. And then they desired it. And then she took and ate. And then they both ran and they hid. And Achan, same. He saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Of course, you know you can't hide from God. Why do we covet? I mean... It's, well, it's because the heart, what the heart desires, I tell you, the, you can't have it. But, but the heart wants it, the mind's going to figure out how to get it. That's why we guard our hearts, the wellspring of life. That's why we protect our hearts as much as we can, because out of it flows the abundance of life and issues. And, and Achan didn't do that, and he took the goods for himself. It's, it's the high cost of hidden sin. There's a warning in the story about secret sin. It's all over the place. The first verse in this chapter says Israel, uh, through Achan's act, committed a trespass, broke faith in regards to the devoted things. That verb, broke faith, means 
to act undercover, to deal treacherously and secretly. And so this treachery seems to be met with the same force as God sees how treacherous it is. He thought he would get away with it. I mean, even when 36 soldiers died, I don't know, maybe he didn't connect the dots. But it does remind us that our lives and our actions are connected with others in our sphere of influence. It is. Our choices always affect those around us. We can't get away from that, those close to us. You know, back when Adam and Eve sinned, many thousands of years ago, still affects humanity today because of what was released into human nature, the curse of sin, and, and Achan broke faith, and it affected the entire community in a horrific way. It's not good when 36 men are killed. Our hidden sin is never just affects me, but affects, it does affects the people around me. And it's only a matter of time before it comes out. You know, one of the traits of dysfunctional families is secret sin. Something happened behind closed doors, and it's different in public, yet those who are behind the closed doors are suffering because of one individual normally. Often happens that way. What's happened in the private? Maybe it's nothing real we would consider bad. Uh, even just living a selfish lifestyle can end up hurting people. We might think, hey, I'm not, I'm not really doing anything wrong to anyone. Well, the wrong we're not doing is maybe the good that we're not doing. Not investing in people like we should, like God wants, and, and instead it's all about me and what I want. And it's hurting everybody. Now, it's incredible the dynamic of how sin, whether hidden or not, even an apparent, will, as the Bible says, travel to the third, fourth generation with unstoppable force. It's incredible if not dealt with or repented of. That's how, that's how, this is what the Lord is saying. You say, hey, wake up! This is nothing to be toying with. Achan and his family, who, they must have known. I mean, it was buried in the center of their tent. How do you hide that? They were brought to the Valley of Achor, where they were stoned. You know, the Valley of Achor means trouble. One man's sin brought trouble on all of Israel. I think about this, and I think Israel is all connected. You know, the body of Christ in Corinthians says that we're all connected, the church, every ligament and every joint, for a reason. God did that so we can bear one another's burdens. We have this faith community where there's accountability and there's care. And when one hurts, all hurt. And there's such a connection there, even for a purpose like this, so that those struggling in hidden sin or issues that are behind the scenes, they can bring it out and they can join with one or another person and they can be honest with somebody. Because when that person's suffering, it affects everybody. But when people begin to walk in the light, there's strength that grows in the community and health. That's the way God designs it in his own church so that we can be there for each other, be responsible for each other's health and growth, this network of care that God designs within his body and his church. Well, to this day, that place is called the Valley of Acre, the Valley of Trouble. I want to say something about that because about 600 years later, the prophet Hosea, in chapter 2 of verse 14 of Hosea, said this. He says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, Israel, 
will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and a valley of acre, the valley of trouble, as a door of hope. I find it interesting because if you're here today and you find yourself in a place where you're troubled and you are in trouble, where maybe you've blown it or you feel like God is pressing in, there is always a door of hope for you. There's a door of hope for all of us in Jesus Christ because in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. The sheep come in and out by me and they find pasture. They find salvation. They are assured in me. They are, they are safe in me. He says they hear my voice and they respond. He kept referring to himself as this door and Jesus is the door of hope. Yet Achan's downfall, let me tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't done overtly, it was done covertly. So let's not believe that the lie that what I'm doing that nobody knows is not hurting anybody. It's hurting somebody. Because the lies that sin whispers is no one's ever going to know. Yet, I think Jesus said that everything one day will be brought into the light. Nothing will be hidden. So as First John calls us to walk in the light as he is in the light. He says if we do that, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And then he goes on to say, right after that, as you walk in the light, if you confess your sins one to another, and the blood of Jesus will purify you and cleanse you of all sin and all unrighteousness. Wow. He's, there's, a, there's a call to walk in the light. And walking in the light doesn't mean you never sin or don't ever have issues. That's impossible. We all have stuff. It's simply, you don't hold it back. You bring it to Jesus. You run to Jesus with it. And you say, God, I refuse to, to fight this thing on my own because I know I'll lose. And I'm bringing it into the light. And Jesus might say, good for you. And I want you to tell your brother who could be a now a support to you or your sister and can encourage you and help you and be accountable. Uh, the thing about Israel, they, they were all clearly warned that everything in Jericho was to be devoted to destruction. It was a very explicit term that they were all very familiar with. It wasn't a mystery. They were warned. And yet, someone took the devoted things anyway and brought trouble on all. Why? What, look, what Achan did was he attached himself to that which God uh, intended to destroy. In other words, he attached himself to destruction. That's what he did. And he condemned his family in the process and just disregarded God's warning. Rahab never did that. She said, I refuse to attach myself to that which is going to be destroyed, the city of Jericho. And I give my allegiance to the God of Israel, and I choose life. And therefore, she was ushered into a beautiful future. Her tomorrow was secured. Achan says, no, I'm attaching myself to that which is cursed, and he was destroyed. Wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Why? Well, if you attach ourselves to it and don't repent of it, you know, our society today is having parades in the street and celebrating that which will destroy them. And God says, don't celebrate it, repent of it, turn to me. Loose that from your life and attach yourself to the living God. And your tomorrow will be secured. Death brings dimension, sin brings the death to all kinds of dimensions of our life, from relationships to our own conscience, to futures and dreams. That's why God hates sin, because, because of what it does to us. 
So here we are in chapter 8. God tells them how they shall, what they shall do with Ai. But you, he said, you, what you did to Ai, what you did to Jericho, you shall do to Ai. Only this time, listen to this. This is beautiful. They get to keep the spoils for themselves. The cattle, the gold, all of it. God says, you can have all the booty for yourself now. Jericho was the first fruits unto God. AI, it's yours. Can you imagine what the people are thinking? Yes! Wow! This is awesome! We get to plunder! Can you? It makes you just want to scream at Achan. Achan, you fool! You could have had tomorrow God's blessing from his hand, what you took for yourself today that became a curse. Boy, that's such a message in it for us, isn't it? What we snatch for ourselves today in disobedience to God, and that can play out in so many ways from relationships to whatever. God says, if you just wait and do it on my terms, I have so much blessing for you tomorrow. And it calls for us to patiently walk with God into our tomorrow. It does matter what you do today for your tomorrow. You know, I tell you, there's an Achan that seeks to rise in all of us. But you can't deal with Achan gently. You have to put Achan down. You got to confront Achan. And put him down. Because here we have last week, again, Rahab sitting in darkness who saw a great light. Secured her tomorrow. Says, I will attach myself to the living God. I will forsake this culture and my roots. And yet here you have Achan sitting in light with godly leadership. That says, nah, I will... Attach myself to that which is cursed. And this tomorrow was cut off. I'm going to have Lori come and share a little story that her and I ran into. This was several years ago, but I think it really applies well to us today. I'll have the worship team make their way out. This was something that happened back when we were ministering in California. There was a family, and let me begin by saying, every situation that we face is very, very unique very complex. There's so much involved. And that's why we need to tap into the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit. Um, this family had a adult child, 18 or 19, that was, was now an adult, but living under their roof. And there were also siblings in the home. And the parents couldn't understand why all of a sudden this kind of turmoil entered their home, their Christian family. But there was, uh, the siblings were fighting. There was just a real sense of unpeace, which they were not, uh, they were used to having peace in their home. So in talking with them, they realized that the time this really began was when their adult daughter started dating this, this young man. And so they began just praying and asking the Lord to reveal this mystery of what's going on in their home. And the mother felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to her heart, the young man your daughter is dating is married. And she just really believed she had heard from the Lord. And she spoke with her husband about it. And they did their own investigating. You know, they looked into the matter. 
and discovered that indeed the young man was married. And so they prayed about it some more, sought some more counsel. Uh, husband and wife talked with each other, and they thought, there is sin under our roof, and we need to address it. We need to do something about this. So the Holy Spirit gave them a strategy, and they met with their daughter. Uh, there was no anger. They had dealt with their own heart issues about uh, anger. They were very calm. They felt at peace. They felt like the Holy Spirit had released to them a strategy for this particular situation. And they sat down with their daughter and talked to her very um, lovingly, but also very firm. And the daughter nor her boyfriend had told them that he was married. So when they talked to the daughter, she had it pretty justified that he was only married on paper. He wasn't married in his heart. And the parents knew well enough that, that this was sin, you know, that this, this was sin. And as they explained it to their daughter, very calmly, they shared with her that this was not God's plan for her life and it was not God's plan for their home. So she had two choices. She could repent and ask forgiveness or she could move out of the house and walk the path she wanted to walk, that she chose to walk. And the daughter, didn't. she, she got up from that meeting and said, uh, I know what I need to do. And she broke up with her boyfriend. And it wasn't an easy breakup because he kept pursuing her. But she did. She cut it off. And even today, we know this family. Um, the family's intact. The siblings are all serving the Lord. But it was a situation where so much fracture could have come in because of hidden sin. The parents responded in anger. Anger could have flown. But the parents went to the Lord and allowed the Lord to release to them the strategy and speak to them. They were obedient. In turn, they were the voice of the Lord to their daughter. And in turn, their daughter also was obedient to repentance. So... I just want to let you know every situation is so complex that we face in life. But God has a strategy. He knows every heart, and he wants to release that to you. Yes. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.